0: 31. Now every Monday on My Story, I have a guest in the studio who joins me to tell me more about their story, their career path, their challenges and their ambitions. Today my guest is Oriane Ricoeur. Um, Auriane has always had an interest in fashion and she's worked with some high-end brands and well-known French designers, but she's also been aware of how important it is for the industry to become more sustainable. And she joins me now in the studio to tell me more about her story. Good afternoon to you, Oriane. Hello, Sadia. Very nice to be here again. Yes, it's lovely to have you. You have been on the show before talking about some of the work that you do, uh, that you have done. But I just thought I found out that you had recently got a new job. And um, and I know it's in, a, in an area that you have been looking at for a very long time. But before we talk about that, let me just ask you now, tell me about your career. When did your interest in fashion actually start?
1: <laughs> it's hard to pinpoint that exactly I think it's always kind of been there um, I always had a thing for you know just starting with uh, sewing and like personalizing clothing um, I have a family of people who are very crafty so we've been doing that for a long time of like just enjoying uh, sewing little things um, like costumes as a kid and then moving on to maybe tailoring little items as I was growing older and then I think it was really early on, I wanted to go into fashion. And then when I mentioned to my parents, how about going to fashion school, they straight away were like, I don't think that's going to work. Um, and we're like, no, how about you do something that you guarantee to have a job? <laughs> so, you know, they asked me to really take it from the side of, more from a business perspective. And I think that was, yeah, that was interesting and definitely um, something quite different. Um, so fashion's always been there as for me as like, the love of the craftsmanship that is behind the creativity, um, the surprise of always seeing new things and um, also of like, I'm also very interested in traditional design. So which is something that I love in Hong Kong is like what all the story and all the beautiful uh, clothing that uh, are traditional to Hong Kong is very, very interesting. Um, So it's always been there. It's really
0: part of me, Mm. I think. And obviously, we can hear the French accent. So you, (laughs) you obviously grew up in France. Were you in Paris? Close by, uh,
1: definitely not in a very fashionable area, Mm. um, but um, growing up, it was really kind of eyes on Paris and on all of the fashion houses in Paris. And I have an aunt who's always worked in kind of in one of the very large fashion houses. And as a kid, I remember being completely fascinated by her world. And... um, she she would you know sometimes share like a book from one of the designers or like bring us to an exhibition of dresses mm. by Dior and uh, growing up that was really amazing uh, to to see that and definitely yeah I guess definitely participated to my interest in love for fashion. Mm.
0: So at that time when you were growing up and you had this interest and obviously you're seeing all of these different things, was it that you saw yourself as somebody who wanted to perhaps be a designer or have a part in that whole creativity thing? Or did you see another side that you particularly wanted to get involved in?
1: Well, I think the the whole designer thing was um, never really something that was good for me, that was suitable for me. I'm not, I just. I'm just not that, Type of person, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am someone though who really loves the kind of back end of things. So I do love the organizational part, seeing what is happening at the back of a theater, at the back of a story, mm-hmm. to what happens to make all of that happens,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to um, so the whole
0: supply chain. Yeah, is exactly. To exactly what, where it starts. And where, where was it, goes. it made,
1: and how did it get made, and how do we, you know, uh, who are the people involved, and like how do you? Go from a design on a paper to an amazing dress um, going on a runway. That was the part I was really interested mm. in, and that I went on to to, to develop later exciting. on. Yeah, I think it's super exciting. You know, you see all of the the shiny things on the outside, and I was just really curious about how do you make that happen? What is happening at the back? And the work that is at the back is enormous. It's 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 huge. Uh, whether you work for a very small fashion brand or a very large one just all the steps that are taken from a drawing, from an idea actually even, the idea to making that first piece is, it's taking weeks, months. It's taking many different talents and expertise, and um, I find that very fascinating. Like all of the hands that have been touching this item before mm. it can go on the runway. Well,
0: yeah, I suppose you never really think of it like that. You see somebody walking on these, you know, the catwalk, and they're looking great and everything, and then you just look at the outfit and oh, yeah, that's quite nice. But you don't realize just the detail that goes into it and the number of people involved in that one outfit. Yeah, it's
1: certainly quite. Quite a lot of work uh, uh, behind, and I think it's fascinating because it's, you know, the question I, I often have is also what, what, how does that happen? Like, how do do things happen in general? And definitely, I had that for fashion, and I think uh, with, you know, what I can do was really something that was uh, quite um, quite matching my interests. So to be mm-hmm. able to uncover all of that and see what I can do at the back, and I. That's how I started. Like the first thing I did that was more like fashion-related was to organize a, a fashion show, and uh, it was really to see to work with brands, uh, sustainable brands in that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to show to my fellow students that um, you can have fashion that is not um, abusing people, wasteful, not, abusing, not yeah. wasteful, mm-hmm. that has less chemicals, that is not going to be. Um, having too much of an impact whether socially or on the environmental on the environment so um but I was yeah I was really interested in like being at the back and like being the person to Mm -hmm. um make all of that happen like bring people together to create that because you know even the scale of a very small fashion show Mm -hmm. in 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 my university you know we you still have to find models and you still have to find companies who are willing to work with you and to let you try um Try this out, and I think for a lot of companies they were quite keen on, just you know, us reaching out and saying, "Well, we want to show to people like twenty years old like us that mm-hmm. this is really cool and that they should start buying differently and start thinking mm-hmm. about what they consume." So a lot of brands were actually very keen. They were like, "Oh yeah, uh, that, that's really a good idea. Let's try." Um, so it wasn't really hard to convince them, thankfully, but just the, yeah, the amount of work that goes at the back and then you know, f- uh, mixing and matching the different items finding the models that they work on and uh, getting the music and getting the space and stuff. So yeah, it is quite a few things for a very
0: small scale fashion show. Can you see that, you know, over time, like you've obviously been looking at the scene for some time now and your interest has grown has, have things changed now? Is there a real appetite for the whole, the whole area of sustainability? Are people much more conscious of what they are making and what they are buying and are they willing to change?
1: Well, yes i think definitely a lot of things has changed when so when i started to work in this industry no one was talking about yeah. it really yeah. so so the concepts uh, the the concept of waste of trying to reduce uh waste of was really inexistent i think we already had a, a little bit of the social aspect of uh you know we already knew we had a few stories already about sweatshops um but um you know 10-15 years ago there was still very much uh like or whatever is happening in Asia. And we, no one really saw that as like directly linked to mm, what mm. people in uh countries... It's just happening there, countries. it's got nothing to do exactly. with Exactly, like yeah. it, it has nothing to do with me buying a new, a new sweatshirt. So um, I think it has changed a lot because now the conversation is here and all stakeholders are aware of it. So even the general public is mostly way more aware today than it was 10 years ago. So that is a really great, uh, great jump forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is still quite a bit to do from the about between the type of like being aware and like kind of having an idea of what's happening and actually being able to act on it. And there is still quite a divide there. Mm -hmm. So both from retailers and the general public, um, So that's why I think continuing to educate is still very important to really show people exactly what is happening at the back. Um, The the social and the environmental aspect are both equally important. It's not about putting one on top of the the other, but um, it's really um, definitely something that it's not because it has improved. I think that we should you know relax on that there is still a lot As to be done
0: to be done that's yeah, right absolutely. so in your experience so when you know this interest came and then what other experiences have you picked up which have now helped you um to kind of really become the person that you are because i know that you've you've lived you've worked in china as well and you've traveled around a little bit so to show tell me about your journey now mm-hmm. so from 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 setting up a fashion show when you were at college etc and then moving on what did you do after that
1: well uh, after that i knew i really wanted to get into the fashion industry so i get the chance to work with a few small uh, smaller brands um and in in paris and you know at first you don't really have time to think about anything else just Mm -hmm. work because it's usually yeah absolutely intense uh kind of jobs so it was really about working working and um you know, a little bit uh, after that, I went to China, and I think in China, I was very interesting to see also a lot more badly li- these, for example, markets like uh, markets of um, uh, fake brands, uh, mm-hmm. markets of like uh, which is sometimes like a grey market. So it's not it's actually coming from the um, the same factory as the brand, but it's not been authorized by the brand. So that's also like a big thing in China. Mm-hmm. So thing to see also you know the different uh, market that exist mm-hmm. and seeing all of that quantity of item that exists and mm-hmm. that is being created uh, was of course very interesting to understand uh, w- what is happening I mean, where it's actually made and then um as I grew into my career in the fashion industry um I get to visit of course some factories lots of warehouses uh, to and being in that machine I think was of course very interesting for me and I really enjoyed my job I worked with amazing people. But as as I was continuing, it really the aspect of waste was becoming a much a much bigger issue for me, and it became really difficult for me to do my job while knowingly creating such amounts of waste. Mm -hmm. So um, over time, I tried to put in place different measures to change that within the brands I worked for, and some was it it something that was
0: kind of did the brands um, take to that were they happy to include some of those ideas because I mean Mm. it's probably a bit threatening for the brands too isn't it
1: well it's it's definitely a a difficulty because the concept of a brand is to sell more items right yeah so when you you come back and say well how about we maybe uh, sell a bit less because perhaps people don't need that money or we make smaller collections because then we ensure there is less waste at factory stage or we start you know selling things that um like like by like having some second hand or then then of course they feel threatened uh mm-hmm. certainly, um, but I think there is a lot of you know there is a lot of things that could be changed also to fit the today's consumers, mm-hmm. and today's consumers really are way more aware of the impact of what they purchase, and I think they are just waiting to have more opportunity to purchase more fitting to their values. Mm -hmm. So I really believe there are today a lot of opportunities. Um, A few years ago, when I started to work on this kind of uh, initiatives, it was not necessarily well perceived. So of course, you had some people who were very keen because they saw that this is kind of a very positive change overall. But of course, you also had a lot of people who were quite concerned about the cost of all of that. Well, Mm -hmm. if you say, Now, you know, we're going to start shipping by uh, sea freight instead of air freight. Everybody's happy because it's much cheaper, Cheaper. but then it actually takes twice the time. So what do we do about it? It means collections are going to arrive much less, uh, much slower in the shop. And is that going to be good for our consumers? Well, actually, we're going to sell less. So there is always a uh, Mm trade-off to to make between Mm -hmm. how do we keep our business running and how do we Uh, start to make that in a more sustainable way and I think over the years that's what I see is improving in terms of brands are more aware more willing to make these trade-offs it's step by step
0: yeah Um, so what what has been the most difficult part of it this kind of journey that's got you here Mm. so far if you think back (laughs) what is the hardest part of it for you
1: I think a difficult time was when I was working in a fashion brand and I felt a little bit stuck Mm-hmm. Because when I was trying to talk to let's say um, consultancies uh, who were working really specialized in sustainability or like smaller organizations that were really fully sustainable and kind of going at them and be like, "Oh, I would love to you know to help you out. I would be really interested to um, work with you to change the way things are. As I don't have a background in sustainability, I don't have a degree in sustainability, Mm -hmm. I found that a little bit difficult. Mm -hmm. So people, I guess, were looking at it as like, "Mm, are you really that convinced or what kind of skills can you bring to the Mm -hmm. table? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I mean, yeah, to be very transparent, there was a a time where I was thinking about how am I going to make this switch? How am I going to go into... A yeah, brand who's more fashion interested. And that, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I did consider, and I did consider like going back to, to studying, like get mm-hmm. another, another master in sustain, sustainable design or mm. in like just uh, sustainability in general. Um, and then I guess, you know, over time, I got lucky to find other opportunities that mm-hmm. allowed me to continue working because that's something I felt was more me to keep working in the community. And, you know, that's also when I joined Bay where I was like, yes, this is something great where.
0: I can work with people I can work on education I can mm-hmm. work on that on it's just picking up people. on good experiences isn't yeah. it and, and I think that's what makes you a rounded person because you you did have a goal of you know the whole fashion area and sustainability but I suppose it wasn't something that you could dive into immediately unless yeah. you've you picked up those experiences exactly. on your way
1: so I think it's something that was a good lesson for me that It's not straightforward. I I thought, you know, oh, I'll go from a big fashion brand to a small, sustainable brand or maybe to a consultancy who is (laughs) helping brands to change. And no, it wasn't that way. Um, Mm. And it took some time and it took some steps that were actually amazing because they grew me in other ways. For example, the, the work I did with Maker Bay Foundation about education, working directly with schools. That's something I had never really considered doing, but mm-hmm. it, I ended up really loving it,
0: really enjoying. And it starts from there, if you think the whole education exactly. and awareness thing really so starts in the schools. You have it? to
1: teach people as young as possible, yeah. so it's actually a great way to get started. And I realized that afterwards. So well, I think, yeah, great lesson. On that. It's not straightforward. <laughs> um,
0: I think it's a it's a very good time to be talking about some of these things because at the moment there are so many young graduates who have mm. just come out, and you know when you come out of university you know the world is your oyster and you Mm. there's lots of things you want to do but you have to realize that actually sometimes you may have to take a job that you're not that keen on but it will help you and it will give you something else and maybe that will contribute to your your path to the place that you want to go and and I'm sure quite a few people don't know where they want to go because I mean when you first started in fashion the whole sustainability angle wasn't really something that was on your mind at that time that's something that grew over time yeah I think it's always been there. Mm-hmm. I mean a good example is just after I finished uh,
1: uh my university I I had uh, you know I looked for a job and I had one job that I was super keen it's um it's a brand like multi brand uh, but completely ethical so they mm-hmm. really only work with mm-hmm. uh, um, with producers that they know make sure they have uh, fair wages. And of course when I saw it I was like yeah awesome I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Problem is they were not offering a salary. Aww. So there was a, an unpaid position. And at the time for me, the pr- I could not, um, I wasn't in a position to take an unpaid position. I really needed to have a salary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was like, okay, great. And I tried for a few weeks to, you know, consider that. But then I had another offer straight afterwards. That was to actually come to Hong Kong that went for a paid position yeah. in a fashion brand. And, you know, that's how I made a choice. Um, I wasn't in capacity to take this one at that time, and I made this choice. But mm. I think it was the right choice for me at the time. How yeah. would I have managed? You know,
0: yeah. How can and you work and with it was you were that? destined to do that, and you picked up other things in Hong <laughs> yes, Kong, exactly. certainly. Now, now tell me. I know that you have recently um, got a job. Uh, you're working. You're going to start work in Redress. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the organisation and why that was a place that you wanted to go.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I get to know a bit about Redress very early on when I arrived in Hong Kong in 2014. I went um, to a, a talk by Christina Dean, uh, the founder of Redress, um, where she was just explaining what Redress is and why is it important and why we should be you know, paying attention to fashion waste. Um, it was very inspirational. And from then on, I just kind of followed their work. Um, with one of my one of previous uh, jobs, I managed to um, get them on board for a specific project to sort out through a, um, some some defective items and try to uh, to to avoid them going to landfill, but like having some donation, okay. having um, so just trying to reduce the amount going to landfill. And it was a really nice project, which also got me to better understand their point of view and their difficulties of how to reduce that waste from the actual logistical point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, looking at the costs, looking at the uh, limitations, the worries of the brands who are very often, often, of course, worried about the brand image, the concern of consumers, how secondhand can be perceived, um, you know, and then went went on and then, uh, fast forward to today uh, where I get this this great opportunity so um yeah I'm now the director for the circular fashion program okay, so what is them. your
0: what is your role what will you be doing then
1: so in this program we do um it's, it's many two aspects one is really the educational part mm-hmm. of so we work with uh, different schools we just finished an amazing project with the ECF uh, where we developed uh, um, curriculum for schools to learn about fashion waste and to start considering fashion in a different eye so that works very well from primary school onwards and creating a comic book oh, from a girl nice. who talks about the best the world uh, best t-shirts mm-hmm. um so learning with her about uh, fashion waste and um, like we were saying earlier learning from the youngest age is yeah. always a great impact Um, So education is always at the heart of whatever redress does. It's really about changing people's perspective about fashion, consuming in a more mindful way, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. making sure we care about clothing and making sure we also care about where is it going to go. So that leads me to uh, the second big aspect of what we do is giving solutions. Mm -hmm. So giving solutions for consumers um, of Having uh, alternatives, for example, having a 2nd uh, options. So now Redress has uh, set up a shop in Chamshrepo for the last right. year. Okay. Yes, an amazing milestone. Um, so people get to purchase second uh, in this shop and very to get to see how nice things. Is that are. something
0: that is now? getting more popular in Hong Kong? Because I know that certainly in the UK, there are loads of shops, mm, yes. you know, like this, um, you know, vintage, yeah. where basically it's just things that, you know, secondhand things, and and they look amazing. Some of the stuff that you buy, you buy it, you know, at a very reasonable rate and, and they're great things. So is that something that you think now is is getting better in Hong Kong, that people are more accepting of that?
1: Well, definitely, I think it is changing. Um, I, I mean, I think in, in no small part also thanks to the work of Redress in the last in the last decade,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it is changing. Uh, especially younger generations are way more open to that, yes, um, because they are just they are just more aware about the whole sustainability issues. Uh, mm-hmm. They just have this kind of knowledge very early on. So definitely, it is changing, and I think this is a very positive move. Um, we would love to keep moving on that. So that's why we have also large events, like very public events, to that are, serve as like an educational purpose and showing, showing people that secondhand can be beautiful. Mm. It can be hygienic, which is often a concern of people. Especially yeah, yeah. so with COVID, of course, we are all much more conscious about, you know, where we put our hands and what we bring into our houses. Um, but uh, secondhand doesn't have to be, you know, doesn't have to be uh, less hygienic than, uh, you know, new clothing. And uh, we all have to, you know, be very careful to keep that in circularity. So we also want to show people that if you take care of your clothing, if you should choose afterwards to pass it down to another person, you know, let's see that as a beautiful exchange instead mm-hmm. of seeing that as like,
0: Um, A hand-me-down type. Yeah, exactly. Hand-me-down.
1: So it's more like, let's see that as a circle where we pass it to another person to enjoy it and wear it in their own style and then pass it to another person. And after, you know, at the end of this whole circle, if once it cannot be worn anymore, what can we do about it? Well, if it's something that is still very nice looking, can we donate it to a person in need? If it's something that is certainly not wearable, well... We can look at recycling it, downcycling it, and um, there is something that a lot of people are not aware of is also, what do we do with clothing we can't wear? It's Mm
0: -hmm. stained,
1: it's ripped, I can't wear it, I can't Mm -hmm. repair Mm -hmm. it. Well, um, actually today, uh, if we put it in the bin, it is going to landfill. Our landfills are bursting, Mm -hmm. so we really need to do something about it. And um, Redress is offering this, also this option of... um, for people who donate into our collection bins, we're going to help you to sort through these items, donate what is is still wearable, resell what is in pristine condition, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then also downcycle for you whatever can be downcycled to so that the amount that goes to landfill is actually very very tiny even if
0: it's a little change, little changes that you make the the impact on a bigger scale is going to be it's going to be greater isn't it that if yeah. we all did that yes, we all it's just that. took that yeah. on board it would make a difference i mean we feel that we can't do much as one person but mm. there's a big thing it's there. always
1: about to drop so um to give you an idea of Every day we have about 170 million tons wow. of clothing that are going into uh, into landfills in Hong Kong. Gosh. It's huge. And so, oh yeah, so that's about 1.2 million T-shirts. Wow.
0: Well, this is a good point to actually end on, just to give you the impact. Uh, Oriane, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been lovely chatting to you. And I look forward to another update at some point. Yes, and, uh, pleasure. Um, the time is uh, 1.55, the news.